Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. This morning, the title of the message is A Cloud of Witnesses. Cloud of Witnesses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your love and your mercies to us. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to open your precious word today. And we thank you as we reminded of this Memorial Day. We're reminded of those who have gone before us and sacrificed that we might have this privilege, that we might be free to serve the Lord according to the dictates of our conscience, that we might be free to assemble and open the Word of God, and preach and teach its commands and precepts. And today as we consider this great cloud of witnesses, this memorial that we have, help us to remember and help us to follow in the steps of those that have gone before us, to hold fast to the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, looking unto Jesus. So encourage our hearts and strengthen us, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible talks here about a great cloud of witnesses. This kind of reminds us of a memorial. This, these verses, the wherefore, takes us back to the preceding chapter chapters. And chapter 11 talks about the heroes of the faith, many of which, if you read, uh, many of them gave their lives in verses 32 uh, through the end of the chapter, it talks about many that gave their lives uh, for the Lord. And Memorial Day for Americans, of course, is a day to remember those who died in defense of our nation. And it's an honorable thing for us as Americans to do. We ought to honor those who have died and those who have served in our armed forces. But as Americans, we have forgotten let me say it even further and plainer. As Baptists, we are forgotten. And who fought, who suffered and died for the liberties that we in America have and were the first in the world to obtain? That is religious liberty. I'm speaking of religious liberty, which was the, is the driver of all liberty. If we lose our religious freedoms, we will lose all of our liberties. Mark that down. Liberty of conscience, of speech, to assemble. You know, even our state constitution says this in section 12. The right of assembling to petition. The people have a right to assemble together, consult for the common good, to instruct the representatives, and to apply to the General Assembly for redress of grievances. But secret political societies are dangerous to the liberties of free people and should not be tolerated. Section 13, religious liberty. All persons have a natural, natural and inalienable right to worship Almighty God according to dictates of their own consciences. 
and no human authority shall in any case whatever control or interfere with the rights of conscience, unquote. That's, our, of course, our state constitution. The federal constitution says this. The First Amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances, unquote. That, my friends, was violated in the last couple of years in many places. But I would ask you, where in the world do people have these rights that we enjoy? How did they come to us in the United States of America? What was the cause? What was the force behind this kind of government that is different than anything that was before it? If we understand the reason, we will understand why we are losing these very liberties today. You know, we no longer have free speech, in case you didn't know that. It's being censored constantly. Google, Facebook, Twitter. Well, we've all learned very clearly that, that we're being censored. College campuses will not allow certain speakers on campus. Many speakers have been threatened with violence. Pastors are being scrutinized and censored. Just this week, <clears throat> I got a, the Epic Times, and there's an article on the front page titled, Christian Graphic Designer Fears for Her Life as Freedom of Speech Case Heads to the Supreme Court. She fears for her life. It's dated March, updated May 24, 2022, by Mark Tapscott. And it goes like this, quote, Lori Smith left the corporate world in 2012 to form her own website design firm, 303 Creative, which soon flourished. In 2016, she was asked to create a design conveying same-sex marriage message that violated her deeply held Christian faith. Smith declined to do so, and when it became clear that a Colorado public accommodation law would be used to force her to create messages that she and other Coloradians didn't support or else face hard pen harsh penalties, she decided to share the, to challenge the, in the statute. So she turned to the federal court system to uphold the First Amendment freedoms, and six years later to the Supreme Court will hear oral arguments in her case later this year. Now, Smith fears for her life as she awaits the slow turning wheels of justice. Due to continuous terrifying harassment, including death threats from activists seeking to suppress her Christian beliefs. She said, quote, I have received phone calls. I have had mail show up at my home. I have had people wish me really vile things that should not be repeated. Threats of bodily harm, some really vile things, unquote, Smith told the Epic Times. Asked if she feared for her life, she said, of, quote, of course. When you hear the things that I've heard, it's terrifying. It definitely makes your skin crawl and the hair on your back stand up. My clients have been harassed, and I love them all dearly. They've received threats as well as ultimatums, which has been difficult, unquote. She said the ultimatums have come from the same groups of people who have been so hateful toward her, but they took it a step further. They figured out my client's contact information and harassed them. You know, sort of like the Supreme Court justices now who had their, their, their addresses doxxed, and so people can show up at their houses and protest. Here's the sad thing about this whole thing. The Allowance Defending Freedom is an organization that's defending her, and, and a lady there, Christian Wagoner, 
uh, AADF's general counsel, told reporters that Smith had to appeal her case to the Supreme Court despite multiple facts both sides of the litigation agreed on in the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. The Tenth Circuit Tenth Circuit Court ruled against Smith in favor of the Colorado Civil Rights Commission in July 21 decision. And Judge, Chief Judge Timothy Timkovich dissented, calling the majority pinned, quote, unprecedented and, unquote, and, quote, staggering, quote, unquote. Because the Constitution protects Mrs. Smith from the, Ms. Smith from the government telling her what to say. And he said this, 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 this uh, law, uh, judge said this, quote, though I loathe the reference Orwell, the majority's opinion endorses substantial government interference in matters of speech, religion, and conscience, unquote. Indeed, quote, this case represents another chapter in the growing disconnect between the Constitution's endorsement of pluralism of belief on the one hand and anti-discrimination laws, restrictions of religious-based speech in the marketplace on the other. The judge was referring to Orwell's famous quote, it, quote, if liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear, unquote. And the first of the essential facts in the case that both sides accepted, Wagner said, was that Lori's religious beliefs are central to her identity, that she strives to glorify God in everything she does. The second is that Lori works with people from all walks of life, including those identifying as LBGT. And the Tenth Circuit also agreed that Lori, like every other artist, serves everyone. Lori chooses whether to create websites based on their content, not based on the person that requests that content. And the Tenth Circuit agreed with that fact as well. Lori's website are protected speech under the First Amendment, and the Tenth Circuit agreed with that. Even so, the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals held a two-to-one decision that the government can actually compel Lori's speech, even though it admitted that her decisions hinge on what the message is in the speech and not the person who requests it, unquote. It's not that she wouldn't do business with people of the LGBT community. She wasn't discriminating against them. It's just she won't put certain content St. Louis, a year or so ago, passed an ordinance to allow, not allow religious organizations to be exempt from hiring those that are pro-abortion. Compel private business to provide abortion health care. And, of course, we know about the draft to overturn Roe v. Wade was released, leaked from the Supreme Court in the addresses of conservative jo- judges' docs so they could be subjected to intimidation. And just recently, I just got this yesterday from Heritage Foundation. It says, just this week, liberals in Congress tried to give Biden the power to target parents and political enemies as domestic terrorists. Why are we losing our liberties? Is it maybe because we have rewritten our history or forgotten how we obtain these liberties? What, what was it, or who was it, that was the force or the influence behind the Bill of Rights that we have? 
might ask the question, what Christian persuasion practiced the liberties that are advanced in our constitutional amendments? Soul liberty. Where every individual, whether a believer or a non-believer, has the freedom to choose what his conscience or soul dictates is right in the religious realm. You know, soul liberty asks everyone to accept responsibility for their own actions, not try to force anyone else to do or, to do or believe anything contrary to their own conscience. Isaac Bacchus, Baptist pastor, historian, in, 19, or in 1774, sent as a delegate to the First Continental Congress from Middleborough, Mass., said this, quote, As God is the only worthy object of all religious worship, and nothing can be true religion, but a voluntary obedience until his, unto his revealed will, Every person has an inalienable right to act in all religious affairs according to the full persuasion of his own mind, where others are not injured thereby. Unquote. So we can clearly see, if we study true history, where our liberties originate. It's Baptist people like us. Or should we say, are we like them? You know, the Bible says here that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. That word compass means they're all around. They encircle us. That's kind of the idea. And wherefore, of course, repeats to the preceding chapter and these, this great cloud of witnesses. James Fawcett Brown described those witnesses become, in, in their turn, witnesses in a twofold way. Attesting to their own case of faithfulness of God and to his people. Some of them martyrs in the modern sense. And also... They witness to our struggle of faith. Uh, and and so, so we see these are, these are those that have gone before us. It gives vividness to the image. As the crowd of spectators gave additional spirit to the combatants, so the cloud of witnesses who have themselves been in the same contest ought to increase our earnestness, testifying as they do to God's faithfulness. See, there have been those that have run the race we are in have lived the Christian life, they've endured the trials, they've endured the hardships, have remained steadfast and faithful, some even unto death. And in a sense now, they are spectators, giving evidence that the grace of God is sufficient to sustain us and strengthen us and give us victory. In Hebrews 11, verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. His witness still speaks to us today. And so this is a catalog, you might say, of those we ought to keep in memory. And many commentators believe that verses 36 to 38 may also be prophetic. That is, that the writer speaks of those who were yet in the future at that time. New history, since New Testament times, is a story of bloodshed, of the martyrs, Christian martyrs. The testimony of the true churches, of which they referred to as Anabaptists or Baptists, has been a trail of blood and derision from New Testament times to the, de- to the present. You know, there were, of course, Roman persecutions. Constantine then united the church and the state, out of which came the Roman Catholic Church. Persecution and torture and bloodshed of God's people became ran- remnant, rampant. 
And as the, ace, the Roman Catholic Church ruled and united with a civil authority and ruled the world, there were many groups, many groups that were faithful, would not support or would not unite with the state church. And they were groups all over Europe, uh, in Africa, and, and, and places, and they were persecuted. In, the, in his book, A Primer of Baptist History by Caswell Reeves, he categorizes all these books or all these groups and, and I'm not going to read all of it for sake of time. Of course, it'd be here. But in his chapter 5, he titles the chapter, Baptist You Should Know. And he names the groups, the Montanists, Novatians, Donatists, Paulicians, Waldenses, Bogomals, Albigenses, and then the Anabaptist Martyrs. And these, these groups would go from the 2nd century all the way up to the, during the Reformation period. You see, these were people in this list that had or taught or held the things taught by John the Baptist and Jesus himself. And they were, they were like people. They were faithful unto death. And, and they spanned that time period all the way up from, from, the, from the New Testament up through the, the Reformation period and into Britain. And, and, of course, we know there was Baptist persecution in Britain, which led to the shores of America, which brought... Baptist to American shores. But you know, a lot of people think, but our story's different. No, it's not. No, it's not. You see, the story in America in the colonial days is similar to what it was in Europe. Though many have little or no knowledge. In the colonies, there were state churches. In Virginia, North Carolina, it was the Church of England. In New England, it was the Puritans who fled persecution in Britain, came here seeking freedom, set up their own state church, and persecuted those who differed with them. Dr. John Clark fled persecution in Boston, established the first Baptist church in American colonies in Newport, Rhode Island, 1638. Church in Newport paid expenses for him and Roger Williams to sail in England for the purpose of obtaining a charter for Rhode Island. Clark stayed in Rhode Island for 12 years till he was granted a full charter, granting religious liberty, of which Thomas Jefferson said aided him in writing the Declaration of Independence. Obadiah Holmes, whipped in Boston for preaching without a state license, September 15, 1651. Isaac Bacchus, pastor of the church, Baptist Church in Middleborough, Mass., from 1756 to 1806, taxed, uh, uh, had property seized, imprisoned, released without paying a tax compromise. His brother and mother were imprisoned at various times. He labored all his life seeking religious liberty in New England, never to see it come to fruition. He was sent to the Continental Congress in Philadelphia by the Warren Association to enlist some favor, liberty of conscience for Baptists, accused of being a Tory because he sought religious liberty. Of course, here in North Carolina, we had our own state church. Again, the Episcopals. And Shubal Stearns, as we, many of you are familiar with, started Sandy Creek Baptist Church near Liberty in North Carolina in 1755 with 16 people. 
grew to over 900 people at one time, but came under persecution from Governor Tryon and the Episcopal Church with the Church of England, who he got the Presbyterians to join with him to oppose the Baptists who were flourishing. And he went to war against the Baptists using taxation, extortion, then outright war. Meant to wipe them out. Many of them he put to death. Of course, there was a, what's called the Battle of Alamance right over here in Hillsborough, North Carolina. And the church was reduced to 13 from 900 to 13. But they scattered. They went all over the south. South Carolina, Georgia, Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky. Witnessing and starting churches. It's credited with birthing over a thousand churches. In fact, Tidens Lane and his nine sons and others went over the mountains into Tennessee. He was one of the first converts of Shubal Stearns. And after the Battle of Man Alamance, he went over into the Tennessee and started the first Baptist church in Tennessee, Buffalo Ridge Baptist Church. But when North Carolina was threatened by Ferguson and the British Army and threatened the western flank of North Carolina, he and others marched back over the mountains and, and they met Ferguson, of course, on that familiar battle called King's Mountain where they defeated him and his Tories, which set in motion the events that led to the surrender of Cornwallis at Yorktown. By the way, there was fights, battles here for independence before there was battles in New England for independence. The Battle of Alamance preceded Lexicon. Then, of course, the Baptists in Virginia, who suffered greatly from state church union, led in this fight. So what was, all, what was it that all these witnessed to? What was it that they held to that was so important to them that they held to that they were persecuted and hunted and despised. Well, I'll give you several things. First of all, the necessity of a new birth experience. That is, prior to joining a church or being baptized, one had to be born again. John 3, 3 says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5 says, except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. They, they, they held to the necessity of the new birth experience. One needed to repent of their sin, put their faith and trust in Christ before they become a member of the church. And then, secondly, baptism was by immersion or dipping. Baptizing a baby, sprinkling or pouring, was not found in the scriptures, which was practiced by all the state churches. Thirdly, and of course this goes along with the necessity of new birth, a regenerated, saved church membership. You know, the state churches, you, bat, you got in by being baptized as a baby. It wasn't of choice. And then you required to attend a service or be fined. How would you like to be required to attend? If you didn't show up from week, we could send you a fine. This is what was happening. Fourthly, individual soul liberty, that is, liberty of conscience. In, in John Clark's 
Rhode Island Charter, it says this, quote, To hold forth a lively experiment that a most flourishing civil state may stand and best be maintained with full liberty and religious concernments, unquote. And so the, these men held to individual soul liberty. Baldhauser Hobmeyer was during the Reformation. He said this, quote, The burning of heretics cannot be justified by the scriptures. Christ himself teaches that the tares should be allowed to grow with the wheat. If they cannot be convinced by appeals to reason or the word of God, they should be left alone. Indeed, to everyone it must be evident that the burning of heretics is a device of Satan. Unquote. Isaac Bacchus had some strong words concerning this as well when he said, quote, And is there one man among us who would be willing to be compelled to support any teacher that he never chose? Yet this is the natural consequence of allowing any man to support teachers by the sword of the magistrate. And this practice has caused the effusion of blood among all nations more than any other means in the world. And the combination of rulers and teachers herein, I believe, is the beast and false prophet, which will finally be cast into the burning lake. Unquote. You see, Baptists taught and practiced individual soul liberty. They never shed the blood of anyone. Unless it be for self-defense. Fifthly, no state church relationship. In other words, they believed in separation of church and state. Now you see where a First Amendment originates. You see, it was Baptists in Virginia, led by John Leathen and others, who petitioned and supported in the elections and persuaded James Madison to insist for a Bill of Rights. This didn't come from, a, from the Protestants. They believed in state churches. Local church ecclesiology, that is, the church was only local. They rejected the universal Roman Catholic or the invisible Protestant churches. They believed in the perpetuity of churches. You know, Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against this church. They, they believed that, that there would be faithful witnesses until he comes. They believed in church planting. They planted churches wherever they went. They believed in the sole authority of Scripture alone and holiness in living. You know, and today we have independent Baptists dancing at their weddings and social drinking. You see, these are the things that these men and women suffered and died for. They gave their lives, they were faithful. They were faithful unto death. And so we are compassed about with so great a cloud. This is our heritage. This is our history. And the Bible tells us here that seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You know, we need to lay aside those things that hinder us. That, you know, the, the, every weight 
speaks of, of, of bulk or mass or something that would be burdensome or, or, or an encumbrance, they need to be taken off. They need to be removed. Hobbies, habits, take your time, your thoughts. The besetting sin. A lack of faith. Or a weakness or a temptation causing sin. You know, causing us to be weak in faith, fearful in witness, neglecting devotions. Your know, Proverbs 22, verse 28 says, We're not to remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. You know, a landmark is a, mark, a marker. And the thing we need to ask ourselves as we think about those great cloud of witnesses is, are we willing to forsake all for the truth of his word to identify with the faithful witnesses that have gone before us? To hold to the big biblical distinctives they held that marked them. They were a marked people. Will we be among that great cloud of witnesses? You know, will we be able to say with the Apostle Paul as he spoke wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8 where he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day. And not to me only but unto all them also that love his appearing. You know, Hebrews 12 2 says, Looking unto Jesus. You know, our Baptist forefathers who suffered and died for their faith, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. You see, the reason we are losing our freedoms, our liberties, is we have forsaken our heritage. We lost sight of it. Winston Churchill said this, quote, Those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Unquote. You know what? My greatest concern is what I see happening in our country is we're going back to colonial America where Christians are going to be persecuted, discriminated against. We already are. Many people in high up places have written, maybe I shouldn't say many, but some have written that all the things that are going on in the military is to purge the military of Christians. You see, America's foundations, Ted Alexander wrote a book. If you don't have it, you should get it and read it. It's called American Foundations Laid by Baptists. And in the, under the contents page, he's, there's three chapters where they're titled, The Spiritual Foundations of America Were Laid by Baptists, page 17. The Political Foundations of America Were Laid by Baptists, page 35. The foundations of the American Revolution were laid by Baptist, page 73. And then in his conclusion, the end of the book, now don't go and say you read the book because I read you the contents and the conclusion, okay? But in his conclusion to American foundations laid by the Baptists, he says this, to briefly summarize 
all that has been presented in this short treatise. If you could remove the spiritual, political, and revolutionary contributions that the Baptists have made from the history of the colonies in America, this land may not even resemble the land so many of you have come to appreciate and love. Next, to consider that the same great God, Jesus Christ, who used his Baptist people to accomplish all that is herein written, and then sovereignly defended the United States through all her wars and woes, is supremely humbling. Indeed, America was no accident. It is the prayer of the author this great land will continue to honor the Baptist principles upon which he was founded. Many Baptist churches have been birthed and fill this land, and many of the Baptist people will be willing to defend this nation against grave threats to our liberty, whether those threats come from without or from within. Unquote. In his book, Sacred Betrayal, Page 67, 68. James Beller, the author, quotes an ambassador to Turkey, uh, 1919, Honorable Oscar Strauss, twice American ambassador to Turkey, Secretary of Labor and Commerce and late President Roosevelt's cabinet, President of the League to Enforce Peace, on the eve of the sailing for Europe and the peace conference said, quote, if I were asked whom to uphold before the American people in the world to typify the American spirit of fairness, of freedom, of liberty in church and state, I without any hesitation select the great and immortal Roger Williams. He became a Baptist, a community and a church which is famous talking about the Baptists, a community and a church which is famous for never having stains its hands with the blood of persecutors, unquote. David Lord George, Prime Minister of Great Britain, when he faced the German army during World War I, he understood the oppression and tyranny of the old world order, and he sent this startling message to the American National Baptist Convention of 1918, quote, It is Baptist principles that we are fighting for in this great struggle. All that Baptists count dear is at stake in this issue, unquote. So before leaving this important chapter, let us review three things. Quote, not so long ago, Baptist historians understood that American principles were basically Baptist principles. Secondly, not so long ago, secular historians understood that American principles were basically Baptist principles. And thirdly, not so long ago, even Hebrew scholars understood that American principles were basically Baptist principles. These all understood the American mind, quote-unquote, and were impressed with the blessings that came upon our wonderful country and to the entire world. However, not everyone was impressed. You see, our form of government is distinctly Baptist. Our laws are established upon Bible principles. Not Protestant, not Roman Catholic. Not it, Muslim, Baptists. Baptists. You see, we are compassed about so great a cloud of witnesses. And we are to continue to looking unto Jesus. Just as those that have gone before us looked unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, our instructions are really quite simple. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. 
Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Not just the things we like and the things we don't like or parts of the Bible, no, all of it. And the only group of people that have been faithful down through the ages of time in doing that command have been the Anabaptists or Baptists. Even at the end of the world. Amen. You see, the command is perpetual. That is, it's continuing. Your times have changed. People change. But the Lord's the same. And his command to us has not changed. We are to continue teaching the distinctives that were taught and practiced by our Baptist forefathers Whether it's easy or it's not. In his book, The Introduction to American Crimson Red, which I would encourage you, this ought to be in every homeschool library. Every Baptist should read it, along with a lot of other books I can give you titles to. But anyway, which by the way, some of them are getting hard to find. They're out of print which is kind of a sad thing to me. You know, this, I was trying to find copies of this book. Bob Mitchell gave me this, and I can't find it, which is sad. You know what that tells me? People aren't buying it. We buy a lot of junk, but we don't buy something that's true and historical. Anyway, in his introduction, James Beller said this, no historian is able to give facts alone. I say the historian, quote-unquote, cannot hide his heart. For if he does, he becomes a reason the reader is disinterested. I cannot divorce myself from the fervor of our historic testimony. I pray you will feel the same. I knew what I wanted from the experience of five years of research. I wanted the testimony of our forefathers to transform my own life. I wanted to thirst for God like them, to preach with fervency like them, for God to use me in like fashion. I also wanted to search for our distinctives and discover how our people maintained them through the years. Knowledge of our inheritance has chained our church. We have dedicated ourselves in our own small way to birthing churches. I have more desire to continue to preach the lost and birth new works now than any other time in my ministry. So my purpose was to fire my own soul and help my church gain a greater vision for the lost. From that emerged the absolute necessity of preserving the testimony and distinctives of our forgotten forefathers. America is a Baptist nation. Her principles are altogether Baptist, and her heritage is imbued with Baptist ideals, courage, and blood. She is governed by Baptist polity, ingrained with the higher plane of soul liberty, and undergirded by hidden yet profound Baptist history. Our reader must not dismiss this seemingly outlandish premise. Historians have been rewriting for the last 50 years, and honest and forthright commentators have slipped on plain issues while sitting on the toadstools of the obvious. Unquote. You see, we have freedom today, still, 
Because Baptist people like us stood. They would not surrender. Oh, they weren't looking for a fight. They just wanted liberty. They wanted the right to choose. They wanted the right to worship according to the dictates of their own conscience. They wanted the right to believe or not to believe. To let men decide for themselves. Without being harassed, punished, or put to death. Are we willing to stand? You know, the day may come when we, were, we start facing persecution like they did. They may close our doors. That may not be too far away. Will we stand? Are we going to walk in the steps of our forefathers who were faithful even unto death? We're not to remove those ancient landmarks which our fathers have set. And your landmark is a marker. And we need to hold to those distinctives that they set forth. Are you willing to lay aside the weights and the sin that does so easily beset us? Are you looking unto Jesus or are you looking at the world? Who's your guide? See, they endured seeing him who is invisible. And the only way we will endure is if we see him who is invisible. Have you been born again? You know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Are you looking unto Jesus?